difference between what it means to be good when you're trying to be epic. Uh, no, you don't gotta believe in me. Nothing can stop me. I already said it. I'm taking everything they stole from us. Yeah. You got your problems, I'm a whole nother. I'm giving people something to believe in. I'ma show them freedom like a bone cutter. We gon' fight back. Yeah. We breaking chains over here. Yeah. And you can stay over there. Welcome back, everyone, to its last call. Last call with the alcohol only on it is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And join me on the line. We're going to kick things off here with our boxing recap. It's New Year. This man here, well, we always love having him on because he, well, he'll say what he means and he means what he says. And, well, he doesn't give a crap because he knows any, everything about the sport. I give you from uh, BoxingScene.com and also uh, Two Dudes and a Mexican. I give you Vic Salazar. Vic. Uh, 2020 was the year of challenges. We saw COVID. We saw a lot of fights get canceled. A lot of events get canceled. And yet we still had boxing. Uh, give me the good. Give me the bad. Give me the ugly. Uh, start with the good. What, what, what did you like about last year in terms of the sport, in terms of how they handled COVID? Man, I think this, the sport did a good job, all things considering, you know, Top Rank had their bubble. PBC had their bubble. And it seemed to work. We got some good fights from both in the bubble. And then the zone obviously came in late. They gave us, you know, Canelo in from Texas. PBC also used Texas with some fans. And, you know, we got Chocolatito. Ch well, we, we did get Chocolatito, but we also got the Estrada Quadras fight that happened this year. We got Spence and Garcia. Canelo and Callum Smith. We got Teofimo Lopez and Loma. Uh, so, I mean, we I think we still had some marquee fights, all things considering, because, you know, a lot of boxing is dependent on gate as well as the TV rights. But, of course, a lot, you know, that goes into promoting comes from gate. And, you know, when Canelo isn't drawing 100,000 people in Cowboy Stadium or 70,000, 80,000 people, like, uh, you know, Anthony Joshua and his fight in, over England. Like, you know, that, that that means a lot. And some fights can't happen. And that's why I was all right with some pay-per-views happening this year because we still got some fights that we needed to see. We needed to see what Errol Spence looked like coming back from the accident. We needed to see Anthony Joshua. We definitely needed to see Canelo. And we definitely needed to see what Teofimo Lopez was all about. So if I have to say anything, I think boxing did well with, with everything that was going on. Uh, I also think the good that came out of this year was Teofimo Lopez and him showing the world that he is an elite talent. I also think it was great to see Canelo put his belt on the line at 168 and face a legitimate 168-pound challenger and ex-title holder and do what he did. It was great to see Errol Spence come back. Um, and I also think at the end of the day, we have a pretty good first quarter lined up starting with tonight. I mean, I know we're going to get into that, but I think we have a really good first quarter lined up. And I, I just think, you know, with all, all things considering what happened this year with COVID, I, I think boxing had a, a pretty solid year. And, and I think we're going from Q4 right into Q1, the momentum that we had, but the zone, PBC, you know, th those fights are coming along. We're, we're waiting to see what top rank is coming along with. Um, but yeah, I think we're, we're, for, for what it is now being in this pandemic, I think we're off to a good start. We ended the year good, and we're going to be off to a good start tonight. How much credit should go to the, a lot of these fighters? Because we, we talk about it. It's like, oh, yeah, we're in a bubble, and we, th we think it's easy here. But I'm guessing for a lot of these guys it's hard because they're going to these fights. They're traveling. 
They had to not have a lot of guys with them because COVID, once again, you only can have a certain amount of people there. They're stuck in their hotel rooms. They really can't work out. They're they, a lot of these guys, we, I know you and I have talked with, they've had to, depending on the states, whether it's California, New York, Massachusetts, they've had to get creative with training, get creative with working out, gyms have been closed. Uh, how much credit should go with fighters for basically having to not just adapt to everything in terms of, you know, handling themselves out, out of outside of, you know, their homes, but also inside where, this has been for them probably huge in terms of everything has been changed and not for the best. I think fighters deserve a lot of credit. Just, you know, we give them credit for getting in the ring. We give them credit for jumping into an eight week, nine week, 10 week training camp to get their heads bashed in. And for the most part, you know, that this isn't, this isn't a game like you play, you know, this is real, this is real life. You know, someone can really die getting in the ring. So they get credit for that. And even more so now, because it's it's unpredictable, you know. It, it's it's a very lonely sport, and it's basically you. You know, you're the one that has to get up in the morning to run. You're the one that has to get in the morning to train. You're the one that has to do a hundred rounds of sparring before a fight, before actually getting in that. And now you're doing this in different situations. And I think they deserve a lot of credit. I mean, uh, I think everyone all around. You know, we, we give the promoters credit; they're just due because they're putting on shows. But we got to give the fighters credit for getting in the ring. And everything that comes with training is probably multiplied ten times more. That we're in a pandemic, and you can't spar who you might want to spar. You can't go to a gym where there's 40, 50 people like you're normally used to. You know, you have to have a smaller camp. So a lot has to go into preparing for someone, and you might not have those resources. So you have to try new things. So yeah, for sure, fighters and trainers deserve more than the credit that we're giving promoters. So. Yeah, they, I, I just think we should be appreciative of, on both fronts and especially the fighters that are fighting and putting on shows for us right now to entertain us. You know, usually we give them credit for just getting in the ring, but I think we should give them a lot more credit for doing this now, especially during these times where, you know, we don't know when things are going to open up. We don't know when there's going to be crowds. We don't know if you're going to get back to the, the, the daily routine gym life where you have 40, 50 people in a gym and you can pick and choose who you're sparring, you know? So it's, it's definitely a lot for them to do, and you know, I'm definitely appreciative of, of their training and all the time that they get in, in the ring for us. Give me some of your best fights this year. I mean, when you re, re go back and you relive 2021, or sorry, 2020, give me like four or five fights you looked at back and go, these were worth it. These were fights worth it of you putting, you know, either sitting down, giving up your time watching it, or even on pay per view. Give me some fights you look and go, they were great. I mean, obviously, many people's fight of the year is a paid up I thought that fight was amazing. I think I can watch that fight anytime. Uh, I know it came on last week, and I think I put it on. I just think it was, it was just amazing. The knockdowns, the, the just the back and forth. I'm, I, you know, it was just war. It was, it was, it was highly calculated war, and you know, they weren't, they weren't just brawling. So I, I like that about that, and of course, I think it's going to win many fight of the years. Um, um, you know, awards when it comes up. Ioki Ioka Tanaka that just happened, you know, on New Year's Eve, you know, people, I, I don't understand how boxing publications put out awards before, you know, the Japan New Year's Eve fight because it usually delivers and it delivered once again, you know, I believe Tanaka was a favorite going in 
and in boxing, you know, some you just never know, man. It all takes one punch or multiple punches, or it just takes a good strategy in a training camp. And you know, Ioka did that, and we got that on New Year's Eve. Um, I I still like the the Wilder Fury fight. I mean, I know it goes lost. It, it doesn't feel like it happened in 2020, basically, you know, because it was so long ago, and it was actually maybe the last big fight we had with an audience. And Tyson Fury proved that he is the best heavyweight in the world. You know, the, he got up from the canvas in the first fight to beat the 10 count, probably deserved the victory there. Second fight made it no doubt that he was the better man. And, you know, maybe we'll get a third fight. Maybe we don't. I think we do. Um, but Tyson Fury proved on that stage that he is the man at, at heavyweight. And then obviously, you know, it wasn't entertaining, but to see Teofimo Lopez basically make the matrix, as they call them, Vasily Lomachenko not want to throw punches for six or seven rounds because he was afraid to get tagged by the right hand. Like Teofimo Lopez has a big right hand. Cut it whatever way you want. He's not Jorge Linares. He's not Luke Campbell. He's not uh, Rocky Martinez. He's not uh, Jose Pedraza. Like he is a big boy that can box. Like a lot of people forget that he is a good boxer. And And when you put boxing in with power, that is a deadly combination that even a masterful technician like Vasily Lomachenko had problems against. And maybe if we get a rematch, he starts sooner. Who knows? But Teofimo Lopez, much like Tyson Fury, showed how good they are. And, I mean, those are the four things that stick out. And, obviously, comeback fighter of the year has to go to Errol Spence for coming back from the accident. And not only coming back from the accident, but facing a quality, you know, Walter Waite and Danny Garcia. You know, he could have taken on Maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, Josecito Lopez or, you know, uh, someone a little bit below Josecito Lopez's level to come back to. But he decided not to. He just said, you know what, if I'm if I'm me, I can beat Danny Garcia. And we found out that he still is Errol Spence. So, I mean, those are the, the things that I take away from this year. And then, again, to Canelo. Canelo, you know, proving again that he is either 1 or 1A, the best fighter or the second best fighter in the sport. So... Those are the things I look at, and then obviously we're going to have a a crazy start to 2021, so I'm pretty excited about that. How much of this year was also about smaller guys? When I say that, we usually, you know, any weight class, I'd say from 140 up gets a lot of love. And then the lower you go, the more it's like, eh, people don't care. This year it was like, as you said, it's Lomachenko, Teofimo Lopez. It's the American debut of the Monster in a way. It is... The Gervonta Davis, Leo Santa Cruz war. It's even, you could argue, a fight which I think a lot of people forgot, but was a very damn good fight. Joshua Franco versus Andrew Maloney. I mean, how much was, you know, with everything going on with COVID, how much of this was also helpful for the little guys to go, all right, you know what? We're stepping up. We're, we're gonna, we'll bring the heat because it seems like they delivered. Every fight you saw with these guys, from about 118 to 135, it was like, all right, this is damn fun. But I enjoy these fights. They're coming, you know, to basically take each other's head off. Before I get into that, I just also want to say before, you know, I got to give love to the Charlo brothers as well. Uh, you know, that that pay-per-view that they had together, both guys deliver. And I want to give them love because beating Rosario and beating uh, Sergey Devrachenko like they did was pretty fascinating to me. So I'll give them love. But to answer your question, yeah, when you have 
a situation like we have now where the budgets aren't the budgets and you can't put on, you know, the premier fights that you might want to put on on a consistent basis. You have a budget to use. Basically what HBO did, when HBO lost their budget to bigger shows, what they did, they invested in the little guys. And little guys usually delivered. And that's what we got this year. I mean, I, I wouldn't... I think I would say 135 and above gets love and anything below that may not get love, but to see, you know, Maloney and Franco happen. And then, uh, you know, to see it happen again, even though, you know, Maloney got screwed on that second time, two good fights, seeing a new way come over here and just running through people, you know, again, he's a top three, top four fighter in the world. However you want to put him, Amazing. You got Estrada and Quadras finally, you know, closing the chapter on that rivalry and, you know, leading into a massive fight next year, which I'm sure we'll talk about with Chocolatito. And, and then Gervonta Davis, who might be, you know, the biggest name, you know, below 147. I mean, and he might even rival, you know, the people above 147. It seems like every time Gervonta Davis fights, he does good numbers. He gets, you know, good amount of ratings he gets people in the stands and you know the most important thing that we gonna that we give ryan garcia credit for his social media game he brings the people to the fights like i don't i can't recall how many nba players how many nfl players were talking about gervonta davis when he knocked out leo santa cruz like people might not think it matters but that does matter like you know when you see a big pay-per-view fight you see magic johnson you see you know charles barkley you see you know, these guys on, you know, in the front row, those, that means you're a big fighter. That means you're a big name as much as you might not want to say it as much as you might not want to give him credit for it. But Javante Davis is a star in this sport. And even though he's below 147, I think he can rival many of the guys above him. Let's talk about the problems that boxing had going for every great fight. There were some cards which are direct. And look, I get it. You, you're trying to, as you said, as you said, ESPN, PBC, even the zone. It's not like the, this is the NFL. They can just start, you know, take money and start throwing it around like crazy. You will get bad cards. But as you said, there's, there were a lot of fights where we looked and went, okay, this is pretty bad. Like Jason Maloney versus, you know, Leandro Baez was a bad fight. Uh, you had David Morrell Jr. versus Mike Gervonta, you know. Gervonsky, and then you had a guy who I like a lot, Jesus Ramos versus uh, Shane Nelson. Those are bad fights. So you're just, they're slaughters. It doesn't help. People get pissed because, well, it's bad fighting. It's, it's guys who are just basically being thrown out there like chew toys. How big is it for not only top rank, but also for the BBC going forward to go, okay, you know what? We, we can't put this on. We can't put on Fox. We can't put on ESPN guys who are just going in there and they're just getting trucked because nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see just somebody getting their brains beat in. Yeah, the thing about that is is there, there's always been fights like that, which doesn't make it right. You know, we've been – me and you have covered fights from, you know, 3, 3 p.m. to 1 a.m. in Brooklyn sometimes, and we've seen mismatches, mismatches excuse me. But in this new, in this kind of environment that we're in, and with the push to put everything on an app, you know what I mean, to fill time, these fights are happening more and more that we're seeing because they're on either the Zone app, an ESPN Plus app, an FS1, 
you know, prelims or whatever you might call it. Um, should they keep happening? No, obviously I don't think that's, you know, I complain about the sport a lot and that's one of the things I really don't like seeing. Um, but I just think it's always been there. And I think it's just being magnified more now because we're actually seeing it. We see it. We've seen it in the past, me and you. But the actual fan who was tuning into the zone, who's tuning into ESPN Plus, is seeing it more and more now because these cars are being streamed from beginning to end, which to me is good and bad. It's it's bad, obviously, if you're seeing mismatches, but it's also good that you're seeing these young fighters who, you know, fight in front of, you know, if you go to the Brooklyn car at three o'clock, they're fighting in front of, you know, 12 people. You understand? Like they're fighting in front of us and then 12 people in stands. But now they have a bigger platform. But yeah, I think we have to do a good job, a better job of matching these guys with people that maybe, you know, aren't going to beat them, but will put up a bigger test. But it's, it's just a part of, you know, developing a fighter, you know, bringing him along to those steps. And, and, I, and I get it, you know, a, a one now, a one round KO or a two round beatdown isn't, isn't doing much for the fighter besides getting him rounds. But, you know, we have to find that balance between testing the young fighter and also not making it so non-competitive that it's a problem. If you're just tuning in to the latest show, we get once again, Vic Salazar here on the show, talking all things boxing. We're previewing what's going on. Last thing on 2021 bothered me, and that is there's, there's going to be changes in boxing, and I mean massive changes in terms of the way the people, you know, are trained, you know, I'm not just talking about judges, but also corners, referees, because two of the worst stories I thought were the debacle with Andrew Maloney and how Vegas just literally got nothing right. And it, they, it was almost to the point where you're looking going, is it robbed? Is it fixed? Is it rigged? And that happened also, of course, with Emmanuel Lopez and his loss. And second, the other, the other story, which I think hurt boxing, was Daniel Dubois getting criticized for taking a knee after literally having his eye not just swollen shut, but having, you know, bone damage and impossible nerve damage. At what point does this sport evolve? I mean, at what point do we go, okay, you know what? It's not bad to take a knee and, you know, live another day. It's it's not bad to, you know, fire people who can't do their job and hire quality people. Well, I think the, the bigger issue is the people in charge of judging, refereeing, because, you know, Daniel Dubois, you know, there's people that are going to say he quit. There are people that are not going to say he quit. I mean, that's just fans. You know what I mean? We can't control the reaction of fans because we just can't. And then some fighters have to do a better job of that as well. You know, you can't call out a fighter for quitting to fight another day because sometimes quitting, and you can't even call it quitting. I want to say you're just knowing that you can't go on any longer. And this isn't healthy for you if you keep going on. So that's just taking a responsible approach if you wanted to live a better life not having problems due to the boxing game and quitting would just be if you know you just don't want to be there Daniel Dubois clearly wanted to be there but he just his body couldn't and, and if his body was there for much longer who knows how much more damage would have happened to the guy you know so taking a knee to me isn't bad is sometimes you have to do that so I, I, that I don't think we're ever going to solve just because there's going to be guys that want their fighters to be bravo and die in the ring. You know, so th- those are some people we can't change. But we can change the people that are judging. We can change the people who are refereeing. Like, that's something we have to change. And 
I don't know how long it's going to take. I mean, we've been talking about this since we've been covering the fights, and it's it's been happening way before us. You know, the, the Maloney fight was BS. The Emmanuel Rodriguez cars were BS. And we can't, we can't use the, oh, well, the crowd's affecting the judging anymore. Like, there were no crowds. Like, if anything 2020 showed us is that the judging is bad, whether you have a crowd or not. It's either they're not good judges, they're older, or, you know, something else. But if that's the case, like, get them out of there. Let's get, you know, people who are either younger, more competent, something. Because Manuel Rodriguez should have won his fight. You know, Maloney should have beat Franco. Like, that's, that's, just, like, that's it. That, that's plain and simple. Like, that's it. Maloney should be, you know, whatever WA, WBA champion that Joshua Franco was. I don't know if he's regular or whatever. At the end of the day, Maloney should have won the fight. And until we fix, that's the biggest problem in the sport. Until we fix the people in charge of commissioning, judging, and refereeing the fight, we're always going to have these things in our sport. And it, and it hasn't changed for God knows how long. Let's talk about the future. Uh, right now, from as I said, here's some here's some fights lined up that we know are happening. Uh, this past weekend, we had Ryan Garcia, Luke Campbell, we had Renee Alvarado, Roger Gutierrez. Uh, coming going forward, you got Angelo Leo, Stephen Fulton, a fight which a lot of people want to see at Super Bantamweight. That's on Showtime, January 23rd. You got PBC on Fox, the return of Caleb Plant. You know, he, he wants a big fight with Canelo. That might be happening. You mentioned it before. You've got uh, the return of Chocolatito versus Quadras. That's on the docket. You have Sergey Kovalev, you know, in action against a very you know, talented kid coming up. Richard Combe, you know, Maxim Velasso, Joe Smith. You have Patrick Teixeira versus Brian Castano but for the WBO light middleweight title. You got Joseph Diaz versus Shevkazov Kirov. That's a damn good fight here. I mean, yeah, hell, Oscar Valdez versus Miguel Perfect. Those are some good fights coming up. They're on the schedule. There are dates. Give me some fights you want to see. Give me some fights which you can argue that they have to happen. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Make damn fights. I know it's COVID, but these are fights that must happen and are realistic to happen in 2021. Well, I mean, the best fight to me on this card, on, on everything you just said, is, is Estrada Chocolatito. I'm glad that fight's happening because, you know, it, it happened a few years back. It was one of the great fights that basically put the eyes on the flyweight division, the lower divisions, and, and I'm glad we're getting the rematch. Fights that should happen, I mean, it clearly, I mean, it, if, if this doesn't happen by 2021, then I'm off the ship. Spence Crawford doesn't happen in 2021. I'm off the ship. I don't care if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen in 2021. So that's sad for me. I think we need to see Triple G face Charlo next year. I mean, I'm sorry, this year. You know, just the, why not? You know, they're they're the, the two best middleweights right now. That's it. They, why, why can't we just get that fight? Um, I want to see Canelo in with either Jose Benavidez or Caleb Caleb uh, Plant, which we just mentioned, I think that fight has one of those fights have to happen in this year. And I'm not sure how long we'll wait if if if, if we we need to wait another year. But you know, Fury Joshua, that has to happen. Like that, that's it. You know what I mean? Like I think those are the fights that have to happen. Um, if we get to the lower weights, I can take any combination of 
Devin Haney, Teofimo Lopez, Shakur Stevenson. Well, obviously he's at 130, but Devin Haney, Teofimo Lopez. Let's get that happening. Give me Shakur Stevenson and Vasily Lomachenko at 130. Give me one fighter who you th- – we go through this every year. We say, oh, this is going to be the guy who is going to be the next breakout star. This is going to be the guy who's going to be next. And, and you could argue that, you know, it's been Canelo. Last year was the Tyson Fury show and Teofimo Lopez show. Give me this year. Like, who would you think is the fighter this year that's going to break out but to become a, a star? And when I say that, you know, more fans will care about him, media will care about him. Give me the one guy you look and go – He's ready. He's just primed. Everything is right. He, he just needs that push, that big fight, and he's ready to go. I mean, I, I'll give you three guys. I'll give you, I'll give you Javante Davis. He's a star. He can be a superstar. I'll give you Tiafoe Lopez, also a star. He can be a superstar. And then I'll give you the guy fighting tonight, Ryan Garcia. Still, in many eyes, a prospect. Should he beat Luke Campbell tonight? He already has the stuff outside of boxing to make him a superstar. He just needs the stuff in boxing to make him a superstar. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, we're proud to have him on because he brings the heat I give you. It's none other than uh, Vic Salazar. Vic, before I let you go, where can fans check you out at? Where is the Twitter page, Instagram, the YouTube channel? Like, Where can fans catch you and uh, catch a – your knowledge and your bombs as you drop them. Yeah, Twitter at VicMatic1119. You know, hopefully at some point this year we get fans and arenas and you can catch my stuff again at BoxingScene.com covering fights. You know, I'll see Chris hopefully this year. Um, my podcast, Premier League Yanker, I took a you know a couple months break just to uh, re-up, but that's on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify. And, of course, Every so often, me and the boys get up and we do Two Dudes and a Mexican, and that's YouTube slash Two Dudes and a Mexican. Vic Salazar, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we're always put, always glad to have him on the show when we come back. We got a whole lot more here, including MMA recap, all this and more, only on it is Last Call. Last Call, but the alcohol, only on it is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Blue Wire Network, and uh, well, earlier we heard from, of course, Vic Salazar. I want to thank him for joining the show, and well, we had, we talked boxing, now we're going to talk some MMA, and well, 
This man here, he has more jobs in the federal government. He is actually part of a government. He is a cop, but he's also an MMA reporter. He is a beat writer. And, well, he actually knows how to do some jujitsu. I give you the man of a thousand talents and a thousand sites that he's probably on. I give you his Keith Schiller. Now, Keith, once again, it was a wild 2020. We went through a lot of things here. It's, let's talk about Bellator, though. Uh, good, the bad, the ugly. With everything that went down, how do you how would you grade them? How did they do with the whole COVID handling it and treating the fighters? Um, so I, I would give them an A simply because they did the best that any organization really could do. So go back to March. March is when, you know, it, it really in, impacted America. I was actually in attendance for one of their events, spent the week you know, uh, interviewing fighters, getting ready. That was when uh, Pedro Carvalho was supposed to challenge Pitbull for the first time. And the day of the event is when they, you know, had to be forced to cancel. As far as I know, most of the fighters that got uh, got paid, they, they treated their fighters very well. Um, and then they found one location. They do their bubble. It's not perfect in Mohegan Sun. It's not perfect as – you know, n- nobody's doing anything right now is perfect, uh, but they've done a pretty good job to, you know, get the, get all the fighters in one secure location. Um, I did cover a couple events during this, uh, this, whatever you want to call this, this COVID era. And uh, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with the doing. I'm impressed with their talent. I like a lot of their signings this year. Uh, and then they've, Looks like they're getting away from DAZN now on the NBC Sports, which is it was probably you know a much better outlet for them. So I, I, I overall, uh, I, I'm a big big fan of what Bellator has been doing. We'll get into all that, but first, I want, how much credit should go to the fighters? Because you and I have talked with them, and whether it was high profile guys we've talked with, like Emmanuel Sanchez, AJ McKee, to even lower guys like Ty Gwerder, Dalton Rasta, uh, even you know, female fighters like Deanna Bennett, they've all had to make sacrifices, whether it's, you know, wrestling people in their, you know, their garage, or as Brandon Calvin said, I'm literally working out in somebody else's garage because of COVID or, you know, doing road work, having to, you know, go to these events, can't bring their family, their friends, even their, some of their coaches. I mean, how much credit should go to the fighters for going, all right, you know what? Suck it up, buttercup. We got a job to do. We got to do this. Well, that's actually a really good question. So we were just talking about, you know, everything I was talking about, I was talking about the, the organization from the top down. You want to talk about the actual fighters? Yeah, they should get tons of credit because, as you mentioned, they're in a, such a tough situation because, you know, they're not considered essential workers. They're not policemen, firemen, people working at a hospital who, you know, going to have those paychecks. So, you know, they want to be safe, as, as we all do, but they still have bills to pay. They still have a life, you know, they have a mortgage, they have whatever, you know, they have to provide for their family. So they have to perform, but they can't socially distance like other people can. Like if you work in the office space, you can set up parameters to make yourself safe. A fighter can't do that to, you know, to the best of their ability. They have to get in there. They have to grapple. They have to wrestle. They got to spar. They need partners. They need to break sweat. They got to swap, so they got to maybe blood, whatever, you know, they have to do all these things to not only make money, but then also perform at a high level. And the worst thing is you mentioned, 
some fighters, some of those guys, either themselves or their opponent, had to pull out of fights because, you know, they put in as much of a camp that they could under the circumstances. And then they go, they get tested, and they might, un, unknown to them, they actually, it's positive for COVID 19. So it's, it must be so tough on them mentally, obviously physically. Uh, and then on top of that, we didn't mention is a lot of their gyms, as you said, was closed because whether it was by choice of the owner or in many cases by choice uh, 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 or by command of the government. So they had to work out in their garages and this and this and that. And could you imagine being one of the top guys in your sport and having to perform at the highest level? Take a guy like Pedro Carvalho when he challenged for the title. You've been waiting for so long. You're fighting a legend like, like Pitbull. And then you have to train in really weird circumstances and try to beat one of the greatest fighters of all time. Like it's, it is so tough on these guys. So whether you, wherever you stand on the COVID debate, I'm not a political person. I try to stay out of that, but it's absolutely remarkable what these guys do. Let's talk about some of the good things built or did as an organization. Uh, first, as you said, no more to zone, no more, Paramount Network. It's now on CBS Sports, and I know P. I know people loved Spike at the time, but it, it it was no longer Spike. And the zone is the zone. How much is this a benefit for you for Bellator that they can now say, "Look, we're on CBS Sports. It's a sports network with the possibility of if it's a bigger card going forward, either upgrading to CBS or even possibly Showtime." I mean, how much does that help them? with the credibility with other fighters, credibility with fans and credibility with just other sponsors of, Hey, they have a home and it's, it's a, it's a home that fits. Yeah. So I, I think I, earlier I said NBC sports, I misspoke. Yeah. CBS sports. Uh, it, it's not official if they're done with the zone like that. We haven't got an official word, but though, you know, you hear some of the comments from Scott Coker saying, you know, we don't really know what's going on with the zone, this and that. Me and you are both kind of insiders. We spend a lot of time with the PR guys from Bellator and different people. And you, when you're on scene, you talk to the people on scene. It, it sounds like it's a pretty much a done deal that they're all done with the zone in 2021 and on. As far as going from a pay device to a network television, now it is the sports, you know, the sports network is not your big CBS, but it's a foot in the door. That's always a good thing. Um, some other positive that they did is I love and, and I want to back up a little bit, but I love that they went to Thursdays and I originally didn't like the idea. I said, why would you go head to head against the NFL Thursday night football? You know, the start times and all that, we'll get into that later, but it, I was wrong. It has worked out. It, it, people seem to like it. You're not battling with the weekend. Um, a lot of people like to do things on Friday night especially hopefully when we get back to normal, more people will go out Friday nights and, and go on dates and go to bars, whatever. They're not really thinking about MMA, but on Thursday, other than, you know, the 17, 16 weeks or whatever it is for the NFL, you pretty much own that night. And that's so big for them that they're not bad. They're not competing with the UFC. They're not competing with regional MMA. They're not competing with people's lives as much. I think that is going to have a much bigger impact on Bellator's ratings and success going forward than even going to CBS. 
another thing I want to, I definitely want to talk about the debut in France. And it, it was, I know it's for American Americans, but like, oh, it's, it's France, big deal. But they've been trying to get into the European market. They've been trying to beat KSW, ACA, UFC for the lobby European fighters. And they, as I said, they were the first ever mixed MMA organization to hold an event in France since it was legalized. How big was that for them, you know, getting their foot in France, you know, getting their, their foot, you know, into Italy, Israel, and start making these roads so that they can get guys who, you know, before they start to look at UFC, it's like, oh, well, Bellator, they're the big group here. I mean, how big was that getting that flag, you know, in Europe and going, okay, we're here, we're ready, we're bringing the action? Well, it is big. It's smart. So one thing about MMA that I absolutely love, I've been saying this forever, is I love that it's such a global sport. When you take other sports, you have your four or five countries that might be competitive, but that's it. You know, other than probably soccer, and even if we're being really honest, well, soccer or football and what they call in many countries, yeah, sure, it's super popular, and it's definitely, you know, the most popular sport in the world. There's still only six, seven, ten, twelve, you know, and there's a limited amount of, of – countries that are extremely competitive that could win the world cup in mma we're seeing this global just growing of the sport and the stars from other regions i mean you've been a fan for a long time i've been a fan for a long time we remember the days where it was really just a two country race it was america it was brazil there was a couple fighters sprinkled in from here and there but they were the they were the uh, exception to the rule that's not the case anymore you have Russia being like such dominant right now. You have the, you know, the Australia, New Zealand area that's suddenly popping up champions. Now you got, you know, the African countries, you know, uh, you think about like in the UFC, Kamaru Usman is champion from Africa. Uh, Israel Asanya champion from Africa. And then you obviously have Europe who has had some of the biggest stars ever. I mean, the biggest star in the history of the sport is a European Conor McGregor. So to get in that, and to get one of the major countries of Europe to be the first one to hold a major event in France, you know, one of the you know, biggest countries, one of the most, uh, you know, you think about like Paris is, is one of the iconic places in the world. That's, that's, that's not just good for Bellator. That's just good for the sport of MMA. We ha- already, already have popular fighters from, you know, France. I think about, you know, like – the background of a Czech Congo, the background, I mean, Francis Ngano has some, some connection to that. Cyril Gaon and, and UFC. And, and this is just the beginning, like 10 years from now, I expect we'll have like a French champion in one of the major organizations. So, so that's fantastic of Bellator to get in there and, and hopefully UFC will shortly follow and, and, and other, other major, you know, MMA companies will be in, be in France too. If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we got Keith Schilling on the show. We're talking all things, of course, Bellator. We're talking with positives. We're talking about CBS Sports. Uh, let's talk about some of the criticisms. And there are a few I have with Bellator. Uh, one of them with Coker is the titles. And look, I get it. COVID played a big part with a lot of champions not being available or title shots not being available. But you look at here and you have four divisions that have not had a title defense since 2019. That is the lightweight division, the middleweight division, the welterweight division, and the heavyweight division. And as I said, I get it. You've had 
COVID, the whole thing. How much of that hurts, though, in terms of you now have, you know, guy, a lot of guys, whether it's Brent Primus, John Salter, uh, Tim Johnson, they're all going. Like, we have no idea what the hell is going on. We have no idea who number one contender is. We have no idea when the title is going to be defended. How big is it for Scott to get this back under control and go, okay, you know what? We're having champions defend the title at least two or three times a year because it, it holds up in stunts divisions. It holds up in stunts fighters. And nobody wants to fight because they're all trying to figure out, well, I might be a number one contender because there is no one number one contender. Well, that's a really good question. And, and that's definitely a criticism we have. Uh, one, obviously, is COVID. I feel like we all have to give organizations a pass when it comes to COVID that they're obviously – we're in uncharted territories. We're all kind of, you know, even though we've been in this for nine months now, we're still kind of learning, growing. Um, and I think about the NFL, there's star NFL players that are getting pulled out of games with COVID. And uh, I know I just saw the news that Alvin Kamara, if you're a football fan, he's one of the best players in the NFL, like could miss the playoffs because of COVID. So, I mean, it, it's just tough on everybody. Now, as far as the titles and, and the divisions, Besides COVID, one of the, the, the biggest reasons is we have champions fighting in multiple weight classes, but also being in the Grand Prix, which is locking them up. You think about Ryan Bader when he was in the heavyweight Grand Prix, also being the lead heavyweight champion. That's a guy who's a division champ in two different weight classes getting stuck in one where you're telling him for a year – he's not going to defend the title in the other weight class. You think about, you know, not, not obviously Ryan Banner has since lost the belt, but I'm talking about when he was in the Grand Prix. You go with, with Pitbull. He's in the featherweight Grand Prix. He's in the, he's obviously the lightweight champion too. You put him in the featherweight Grand Prix, you lock him up for a year. Then COVID hits, which actually extends the, the, the Grand Prix longer than they expected. So it really puts a lock on the division. Now, how much of an issue is that? And this is just me speculating. Obviously, I'm not in, you know, the the war rooms of of Bellator meetings. I think it would have a bigger effect internally in the company than it will externally to fans. And what I mean by that is, I could see fighters being upset, fighters not being happy. If you're the top guy in a division, and say you're the top guy in lightweight, and you know Pipple, if he wins against Manuel Sanchez. His next fight after that will also be for the featherweight title. And then you figure, regardless of win or loss, by the time he can come around and defend the lightweight title, you're talking about best case scenario is probably six months from now. So you're still sitting on the shelf for another six months. So I can see that being a huge issue among the fighters. As far as externally to the fans, I don't think it's that big of an issue, especially with casual fans. With casual fans, a lot of them don't know who who the champion is or what division they fight. I mean, how many times have you had a friend talk to you about a fighter and say, I picked two fighters that nowhere near what we class and you go, hey, have these guys ever fought? Or and we're like, that's four four weight classes away from each other or something. We like we laugh about it. But to fans, they don't know. So if you can get them, if you just get people fighting. They're happy about that. They don't care if he's defending the title at lightweight, featherweight, whatever. So I think it might be a bigger problem internally than his external. Give me some title. Give me some fights you want to see in 2021, because I know that we want to see all the titles defended. I personally, I'd love to see Salter versus Masasi. I'd love to see, 
somebody, either, either Patricky, Patricky or Patricio Pitbull fight Primus. Give me some fights you're looking at going. We have, these fights had to happen. There's no more excuses. We now can we can have fights. You can have all this. Or we can do the bubble. Give me some fights you're looking at going, Scott, make these fights because they have to happen. Well, that's a great question. So um, if you asked me this same question a year ago, my answer would have been, I want to see AJVT versus Patricio Pitbull. That very well could be the case. Like that, the only person stopping that from happening is Emmanuel Sanchez, who very well could beat Pitbull. I mean, if you think back to that first fight, that first fight was very competitive and close. People forget that. But if you have Bellator, that could really be a mega fight because you have Patricio Pitbull, you know, the most decorated fighter in Bellator history. And when I, when I say that, what I mean is of the decoration in the organization, not counting what people have done outside. I'm not saying like, you know, Fedor Emelianenko. I'm not saying Pitbull is more decorated than Fedor. Fedor did his decoration outside of Bellator. That's, that's what I mean. I mean, people who are actually their accomplishments in the organization. You have the greatest fighter in their history. Going against AJ McKee, who is one of, if not the most exciting, if we still want to call him a prospect based on his age, there is. Undefeated, he's got the look, he's got the personality, he's got the finishing ability. I mean, he's got possibly submission of the year this last time against Darren Colo, and he looks better and better every time he comes out. That's a fight that I am so excited, and I think it's going to happen. Like, we're going to get that fight. As far as other fights, there's so many. I mean, think about some of the guys that just got brought into the organization. Anthony Rumble Johnson is a, you know, one of the best knockout artists of all time. They just brought him into the organization. Uh, if he could fight for the light heavyweight title sometime this year against Nemkov, and Nemkov could win, now you actually got yourself a Russian star who recently beat Ryan Bader, and if he can beat Rumble Johnson, like, you got yourself – you know, a guy on the rise. And if not, if Rumble Johnson knocks him out, that's great for the organization too. Um, those are the two, when you asked the question that first jump out to me, of course you got, they've recently added Yoro Romero. Um, they have so many young prospects that are developing that I really like. Um, but if you want to give me two, those are the two that just jumped out to me when you asked the question. You mentioned it, the signings. And I know when we talked with Michael Fried a while back, he said, Bellator is capitalized on a lot of things with the, with the code because you had all these guys now who were in the regional scene. They're waiting there, but they can be patient now with COVID. It's a, it's a buyer's market. You and Bellator jumped on that. How big was that for them? You know, getting away from, hey, we got Chael Sonnen and uh, Vanderlei Silva the main event to, hey, watch as we have, you know, Julius Anglicus. We have Alex Polizzi. We've got... Uh, you know, Rafion Stotts, how big is it for them that they're now getting these kids, these international, you know, fighters, not just relying on, build, you know, UFC rejects? Well, it's actually something that I think they've been doing for a long time now. Now, Bellator gets a lot of criticism because the headliners that, you know, that the top of the Shergog website, the top of other companies' websites is the big name signings. When Yoel Romero signs with them, when Leo Machida, you know, whoever was the reject from the UFC or, or, or I shouldn't say reject, but the, the, the outcast or whoever's like, you know, back nine of the career, those bring the headlines, but they've also signed so many young fighters 
prospects beating the UFC, getting to them early, one thing they like to do is they like to sign that decorated NCAA wrestler before they even have an amateur fight. You know, I think a guy like Ed Ruth, they sign him straight out of the NCAA. That's a three-time NCAA champion. Um, Bo Nickel, who's got to wrestle in the Olympics, one of the greatest wrestlers in, in Bellator history. I've seen him at Bellator shows. He's already announced that he wants to go into MMA. Like, that would be a huge signing if they can get him when he's done his amateur uh, international wrestling career. But also, like some of the European fighters, they grabbed Magomed Magomedov, who, who I've been talking about for years. This is the guy that he's fought uh, UFC bantamweight champion uh, Prechayan twice. He won one, he lost one. Both fights were absolutely incredible fights. Both fights were extremely close. You could have gave him, he could be up 2 nothing over Petrion, who is the UFC champion. Like, that's a major signing for them. I think about a guy like Patrick Mix, who they brought in, who was, uh, you know, very good and probably one of the top bantamweights. And then they also grabbed guys, like, they grabbed some of the right guys from the UFC. I think of Sergio Pettis. Like, <laughs> he's one of the, best bantamweights in, in the world. So I, I Bellator gets a lot of criticism because they will still put on um, it, old aging veterans. They'll still put a rampage in the cage. They'll sign some, they sign a fighter that doesn't deserve a, a, a big fight or a fight in a major organization. Like they signed the porn star girl. They just signed the girl from Russia that fought the, fought the the man in that like unisexual unisex match like they'll do those things because they i feel like they feel like that old mantra of bad press is still better than no press but like some of the greatest moves doesn't really get picked up by a lot of people and i like some of their moves let's talk about the future uh two divisions i want to talk about one is not there the other one is there heavyweight I, as I said, I get sometimes you got to sign UFC guys because there's not much. And I look at the division. It's 23 heavyweights. So that's not counting Fado who's leaving. Josh Bardet who can't seem to really fight because he can't pass a drug test. Justin Wren who he does it whenever he feels like it. And Ronnie Marcus who belongs at light heavyweight. Then you take the Hagers, the... Ryan Spillane, who hasn't fought the soccer, the rugby player who hasn't fought. Look, I was champion for Brandon Calton to get a, a USCD contract because I thought he deserved it. When does Bellator sign more heavyweights? Because it's almost like you're looking going, shit, you have 17 guys here. Chuck Congo is one of them. That's not a good sign. I mean, you, the, for everything Bellator has done right, the heavyweight division seems they just can't put that together. You know, Sands having, you know, once in a while they get a Valentin Moldovsky who comes because, you know, he's a fader guy? Well, that's a tough question. And and I feel like Bellator, when it comes to heavyweight division, is in the same realm of the UFC. And now I'm not saying that they have the same talent level. I would I would favor the UFC overall talent. What do I mean by that is it's just a shallow division because it's just shallow across the board. Like the talent level in the heavyweight division worldwide is there's not that many. If we're being honest – the top athletes that are over 205 pounds are probably playing football or basketball. Like it's rare for them to go into MMA. Now we've seen a change. We've seen more athletes. We've actually seen some athletes who kind of flamed out from football and basketball come over to, to our sport. I would love to see a lot more NCAA wrestlers 
you know, heavyweights come over. Um, we've had some good ones, but even then, uh, they don't seem to, uh, to last. I think of what, like, uh, uh, Mako there, uh, the, uh, America top team coach, Steve Mako, like he had a couple fights and then decided to leave, you know, so, um, who was the guy? I can't think of his name. I'm, I apologize. I There's Rob head. Conrad who we had years before. Yes. Was, yes. Was right. yeah. Cole, Cole Conrad was the champion. He was fantastic. NCAA champion was undefeated and then just walked out of the sport. So they've kind of had some bad things happen to them. Um, as you said, like they've invested in pro wrestlers that, 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 you know, you got a guy like Jake Hager who besides being up there in age also has other commitments. Um, I think about uh, who's that other rest, pro wrestler, the wrestler guy. Bobby Lashley. They're trying to find yeah. whatever they can. It's a they're trying. Yeah. And, and, and also, thing you got to remember, it's heavyweight is also the division where you have aging guys. Like, it's always, even the UFC, I mean, you think of some of the top guys, you have the Alistair Overeem, he's been around forever. Andre Olowski, they've been around forever. So you have that thing going too. But that said, there is some some and and, and I'm, I, I'm trying to find the civil lining there is some young guys that are pretty good in the division you know i think about uh, uh a tyrell fortune like he's still young young in the game so there is hope but i totally agree with that is a division that they need desperately to sign some guys last question we'll let you go uh as i said one of the best i thought fights last year was juliana velasquez versus Lee McFarland. You have a, a 125 pound division at Bellator is built up sneakily and has some stud talent with Alejandro Lara, with Vita Ortega, with possibly, you know, eventually Valerie Lareda. You got 145, which is killer. When do they bring in the Adam Weights? Because I know you have talked about, I've talked about, we've had other people talk about it. With a, of a one division that nobody has, you know, UFC, PFL. At what point does Scott Clark go, you know what, we, we can get more of these fighters before they jump to the UFC? And you know what? Women's MMA, it brings it. You know, wherever they have a women's fight on M Bellator, that fight usually steals the show. They are the, the ladies are the ones who usually are the people, everyone's going, okay, you know what? We've owned this fight. Everybody's talking about our fight. Screw the men's fight. We're bringing it. Well, that's a good question. And I actually wish I had an answer to you, but I have no idea. I mean, I've, publicly asked Scott Coker about if he'd be interested in Adam weight. He didn't seem interested in Adam weight. Think about men's flyweight, another division that he's not interested in. I don't get it. They've had those like one-offs with the Adam weights, you know, kind of filling the arena. The, you know, when they do the local talent, they've done those, but they haven't really showcased many of the, you know, Adam weights. Um, I don't know. Going back to Velasquez and only may fallen. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that going back to your question earlier about what fight do we need to see? That would have been another fight. If you asked me a year ago that I would have said that we need to see. And then you have, you know, a good fight competitive, you're under, you know, two undefeated stars. What impressed me most. And, and I know it probably impressed you too. Besides the fight, how Elimelea McFarland handled the loss, how gracious she was, how she talked up the other champion. I, I was absolutely like, that's, what's great about the, our sport. You know, seeing someone who f- loses for the first time, loses their title, you know, they're going to have an L on their record forever, and to kind of show the character that she did afterwards, I was absolutely amazed by that. If you haven't seen her, like, post-fight press conference stuff, it's incredible. 
Uh, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, we, uh, it's our Bellator recap. And well, this man here brought explained a whole lot more with some tidbits. I give you, well, he's with Cage Press, he's with Sure Dogs all over the place here. I give you, it's uh, Keith Schillen. Now, Keith, before I let you go, where else can the fans check you out? Where is the Twitter page, Instagram, the website? Where can fans hit you up at? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, thank you uh, for having me on. You know, I always love talking to you. We don't do it enough. Uh, it's always a great time. But anybody wants to follow me, they can follow me on Twitter. It's at Keith Schillen. I'll spell it for you because my last name's a little tough. It's at Keith Schillen. It's K-E-I-T-H-S-H-I-L-L-A-N, followed by the, the letters MMA. You can follow me on Twitter. All my work is on SureDog.com. I also run the SureDog Radio Network, kind of new thing we're doing. So check out uh, our podcast there. And, of course, uh, my podcast with uh, Loudmouth MMA Podcast Network, where we do um, all our shows, both from SureDog in there, and there's some bonus stuff on Loudmouth. So check all that stuff out. And, Chris, thanks again once more time. Uh, players on mine. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I give you it's Keith Schillen, but we got to wrap this up. So for Keith Schillen, for Vic Salazar, this is uh, Chris Carson. Have a great week, everyone. We'll be back on Friday. Stay tuned for more great action, but only on It Is the Blue Wire Hustle Network.